Hello, and welcome to this week's RunnerCast, here on Runner Radio. I'm your host, Christian Macias. This week's episode features an interview with multifaceted student, director, screenwriter, editor, and filmmaker, Mark Moreno, on what it's like creating short films. From inspiration, aspirations, processes, and outcomes, we delve into the psyche and nuances of film, both behind and through the camera. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of RunnerCast, entitled, The Art of Filmmaking, with Mark Moreno. Go ahead and tell me your name and your age. My name is Mark Federico Moreno, and I am 21 years old. And so we're interviewing you. Uh, you're a filmmaker. So first things first, I want to ask you, how long have you been making films and videos for? Well, I've been making films, I want to say about like three years now, but making videos ever since high school because I took a video production course. I took classes at Liberty High School here in Bakersfield. And that you get just get like a little funny digital camera and you go out and you just shoot whatever. And, you know, I did my trials making really bad zombie videos around the Halloween time and just really bad videos and putting them on the Internet. But, you know, that led eventually led to me crafting more complex stories and narratives and actually delving into getting more eloquent equipment and telling more just complex and and uh, daring stories and actually transitioning from little dumb videos into what I would be I would consider film so you have that greatness from small beginnings kind of vibe um what I want to ask you is tell me a little bit about those uh high school videos what what were those like well they were bad um as they all are usually uh I think one of the first ones I did was a zombie video and I mean there was just when you were making something like that so early you're very reliant on friends and family and of course, I was reliant on my high school friends. So there is kind of a lot of goofing off that goes into those, which is sort of natural and healthy at the time. Nobody's going to be taking your high school zombie movie very seriously. But then you sort of, as you get older, you mature, you progress, you want, you know, more, you know, seriousness out of the roles. You start going to more complex you know realms of storytelling but when you're in high school you know you're just kind of having fun it's a lot of um it was a lot of action movies I was like a fan of Transformers back in those days which uh you're lucky you got me to say that because I would never even admit that anywhere even with a couple of drinks in me but I'm telling you that now just so if anybody's listening and they really want to do filmmaking you you start anywhere and it even starts if you're a fan of these blockbuster films that are undoubtedly pretty terrible and if you like those you know you'll start recreating those and then eventually you'll start making something your own but it was a lot it was a zombie film and then I started experimenting with fight scenes which it was laughable but it was a learning point and I'm very glad that I went through it because now if I ever feel like I need to film a fight scene I know exactly what not to do. So my next question is what kind of things were the film process like um you know did you do everything by yourself or did you have like any kind of team with you do you mean during high school or as of now 
Sorry, during high school. Oh, during high school, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, high school is a bit more of a one-man show because it's just you and it's your idea. You write down this little piece of paper and then you have to rally everyone together. But for the most part, you're usually relying on stuff like the onboard camera microphone. Um, You do the editing, you do the writing, and mostly everybody comes in. You just really need like a cameraman and then you need your actors. But so you're kind of really like, you're the only guy anybody can ever go to for any kind of authority. You're like the absolute, you're like a totalitarian director in essence, but then you're a kid, so it doesn't really matter. But obviously you can't do it by yourself in any stretch of the imagination. I didn't set up a camera and be all the actors and, and, you know, in, in the one film, I obviously had a bunch of my friends come in and they were the actors for me and I remember I had to select few who I would go to because they acted better than the other ones. And then the other ones would just sort of stand in the background <laughs> as like human scenery. And other than that, I mean, obviously it's not a one-man show filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination, whether you're doing it on a small scale or especially not on a large scale. So you definitely rely heavily on your friends to help you and you definitely rely on your parents <laughs> for financial stuff. Yeah, there's a... Uh, there's no shame in that. You shouldn't be ashamed of your parents pitching in and helping you because it's a pretty expensive adventure. And, you know, you definitely need as many hands helping you as you can get. When do you think you got um, more serious about filmmaking? Was it maybe some point after high or during high school or some kind of transition after? It was definitely after high school. Um, I definitely wanted to make movies. That's what I when I knew I wanted to do it because the process of making it was something that I enjoyed so much. So I went to Bakersfield College. Unfortunately, Bakersfield College doesn't have any dedicated filmmaking program, but they do have a sort of like a cinema class where you can sit and watch films. And that was where I was introduced to a lot of some of my favorite films. Uh, Blade Runner is my absolute favorite film. And we were introduced to that film in that class. And that was when I really realized that film could be a vehicle for philosophical ideology and inquiry and stories that can really act as analogies for philosophical arguments and ideas. And I realized that that's a very powerful sort of thing to do. And that's when I thought I shouldn't be making just the zombie video anymore because those don't have really, at least in terms of how I'm making them, they have no real point. There was just sort of practices. But then it got into the point where I said, well, maybe we can add this sort of idea of, you know, really start, exploring the philosophical ideas regarding death and and maybe religion and all these kind of things and and you sort of look back at your background I was raised Catholic so I have a really solid Catholic upbringing and I underroot that almost constantly I always try and find some way to put religious subtext and imagery in my films because I feel like it gives it that weight it's something that we're all we all have some type of upbringing that's tied into our identity and especially religion is so impactful and playing around with it and messing around with that and seeing, you know, what buttons you can push and what you can say, pushing that's probably the most important aspect of it. Just pushing buttons is is interesting, but it's not actually profound. And when you actually start to mess around with what some a lot of stuff means to a lot of people and putting those ideas in situations where, you know, you can really start to have somebody realize or question something is really important to me as a filmmaker. That's as my outlook on it now is that a good film starts a dialogue. So 
what I hear you saying primarily, um, aside from those philosophical inquiries, is that those introductory BC courses was really a turning point for you in terms of deeper storytelling and, and deeper, you know, analytical substance in your in your films. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I would never have seen those films on my own. If you would have told me what Blade Runner was when I was in high school, I would have thought it sounded weird and creepy, and I wouldn't have wanted to see it. I would have wanted to go to the movie theater and watch the you know the newest Marvel movie, which aren't bad movies. Don't get me wrong; they're very entertaining. They're a lot of fun, but. It would have been that. I would have been sitting around like, when am I going to make the next Captain America movie? That's what I want to make. But now I'm like, I want to make the next Godfather. Like, when is, where is the Francis Ford Coppola of our day? I want to be that guy. And so that was sort of when I watched these films that are so, they're just beautiful. They're beautifully shot. They're beautifully written. They're impressive on any sense of the word. And it's like, that's kind of, that's what made me realize film as a true art form. Like when you go to a museum and you see these grand Renaissance paintings, you know, like a Rembrandt or or any of that sort, and you look at it and you're in awe, and you're like, how did somebody come up with this, and how did they put it together? And then you, I wanted that, I got that same situ, that same feeling watching stuff like Blade Runner, like The Godfather, and a bunch of other films, and that's when I was like, I want to, in a sense, paint something like that. This time of night? Like you'll want to talk. Hmm. So you must be having trouble sleeping. Not exactly. Then what is it? I don't know. So before we get into your current filmmaking, can you speak a little bit about um, some of your primary influences in terms of um, wherever you want to take it? It can be favorite films, directors, writers, anything. Okay, I don't think I've said this before, but Blade Runner is definitely my favorite film. <laughs> yeah, you said that before. <laughs> I'm oh, just kidding. I? Yeah, sorry, I didn't know. Um, anyway, yo, Blade Runner is definitely my favorite film of all time. Dark City is also one of my favorite films. There's a lot of sci-fi. Sci-fi is probably my favorite genre. But in terms of my favorite directors, like guys that I just watch and I'm just blown away and I'm like, if I can only be a fraction of that, I'll be happy, is definitely Kubrick is by far my favorite director of all time. I mean, Kubrick's brilliant and undeniable. 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining are all films that are sort of embedded into the social subconscious. It's very culturally relevant in any day and age. I mean, these were films that came out of the 60s and 70s, and you wouldn't be surprised to go over to your friend's house and see your friend watching that movie, 2001, whatever. I mean, it's it's sort of a big, it was a big turning point in cinema, and it leaves a mark. And Kubrick, he just, crafts things so eloquently all of his shots are just beautifully composed and symmetrical and and it adds a sense of eeriness to it his writing is impeccable and then but also i'm a big fan of foreign filmmakers because the western filmmakers are great but in terms of it's all like very western you want an outside perspective uh tarkovsky andrei tarkovsky is definitely close second I mean, sometimes I watch the Tarkovsky film, and I'm like, no, you know what? Tarkovsky's my favorite director. Sorry, Kubrick, but it, it fluctuates. That's how powerful they are. I feel like they're two sides of the same coin. They're both very philosophical, introspective directors that make really long, methodical, like sort of meditative films that really get you thinking and sort of send you into this trance where you're taken out of your current world and you're into this new reality that they've crafted. You know, I, Tarkovsky 
in, I believe it was nostalgia. He's this, a scene where there's a man who has a candle and he's, it's in the middle, it's after a war and he's trying to light the candle and keep it burning, but the wind keeps blowing it. And so he, he's walking, he lights the candle, it blows out. He lights it again, it blows out. This goes for like 20 minutes, but you don't realize it because it's just so, I mean, this candle means so much. It's so symbolic and you're watching it for 20 minutes and you don't at once go, is anything else going to happen besides the candle thing? You really are like, you don't think at, at that point at all. It becomes meditative. You're sort of locked into your seat and you're watching this just really somber moment, nostalgic moment, like really grab hold of you and you become pure emotion. And it's like, I want to do that. And then, of course, there's guys like Kurosawa's uh, blocking, which if anybody's unfamiliar with that, it's just the movement of the actors. It's really something that not a lot of people notice right off the bat, but you, you'll notice it if it's not there or if it's done terribly. And Kurosawa is like the king of it. Kurosawa's uh, choreography, his blocking is just, it makes the scene alive. It's sort of like lines without dialogue. These movements say so much about these individual characters and their relations to one another and, and eventually where the story is going to take place. And so much so that you could, I mean, his films are in Japanese. They're not in English. You can watch them with subtitles, but I've actually watched a few. I've watched Hidden Fortress and um, Kagamusha, which is on Netflix, without subtitles. Just pure Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. And you just sit there and watch it, and you know exactly what's going on. Because his blocking is so well done that visually you can get a semblance of what each character is thinking, going through, and their relations toward each other. And so... I mean, obviously, also Spielberg, because you're a kid, you watch E.T., you watch Jurassic Park. How the hell could you not be like, I kind of want to do that. I want to make some dinosaurs or a cool alien. But Spielberg, I mean, especially now, Spielberg's films are so polished. My favorite film of his is Munich, because you just get so much information out of single shots, and then it's all beautifully captured. I mean, the cinematography and all of Spielberg's films are, are just beautiful like you could capture them and show them to somebody and and it could be a painting in like the getty somewhere and it's all so all those sort of influences and even so talking about them now it makes me feel like i should just give up because i'll never be those guys So there's a saying, um, don't quote me, but it's along the lines of good artists borrow, great artists steal, along those lines. So in terms of filmmaking, can you speak to sort of mimicking sort of like the shots and the composition of those films into your filmmaking or, you know, inspiration or whatever it is in, into your films? Oh, yeah. Well, this concept of stealing and borrowing is sort of weird in filmmaking because to me, people are going to hate me, but I hate Tarantino. He steals too much. I think he flat out robs a lot of scenes, but then there's this thing. I think he steals too much. I've borrowed, definitely maybe you could say stole. Like in my newest film that I've done, La Orden, there's a specific scene that I can think of off the top of my head where I planted the camera on a small dolly 
and then just slowly pushed it in. So it's like a stationary scene, but the camera moves in on the scene very slowly, almost to the point you don't notice it. And I stole that right from Kubrick. Kubrick does that all the time. He does it in The Shining. He does it in Clockwork. He does it in Full Metal. I mean, you can watch any of his films, and he does that near constantly. Anytime he sets up a new scene, those are sort of like his establishing shots. He'll put he has this grand symmetrically composed, you know, uh, composition in the film frame, and then there's this ever so slight push in a dolly in, and you don't really notice it, but it always adds a sense of eeriness. I think it's that sense of you knowing something's up, but you're not you're not necessarily able to put your finger on it. And so I did sort of steal that i also steal a lot from i mean um spielberg's blocking and camera movement uh like i was mentioning kudazawa's blocking but kudazawa's blocking is he's an old older director and in those times um the camera would be fairly stationary and then the characters would move on that plane where the character was filming but spielberg has this really awesome marriage of the movement of the characters and the movement of the camera where the characters will move and then the camera will move with them. It's called motivated movement in filmmaking. And it's like anytime the camera moves, it's following somebody and it's really elegant. It looks really elegant when you watch it, but it's just that simple. The camera can't just move on its own. Somebody forces it to move and Spielberg will have the camera move like 20 times following various characters and still tell a really awesome, cohesive visual story. And to the point where they call it the Spielberg wonder, he has, you know, shots that are a minute long, like without cutting. And you don't realize it because he gets these varieties of shots in. And I've replicated that not only because I, I really like the style, but because it's such a really like, it's an efficient way of shooting when you can knock out, a close-up and a wide shot and a medium shot and an extreme close-up all in one shot. You can just shoot it all and then it's done. I mean, it's better than setting up the camera and then setting up the lighting and then doing your close-up, setting up the camera, setting up the line, doing your medium shot. You can just get it all out of the way, which is crucial, especially for me because I'm low budget and I could consider independent. So the faster I can get a shot over with and get the hell out of there, the better. And so that's sort of one of the things I've stolen from Spielberg and Kubrick and Tarkovsky, I want to start experimenting with the whole idea of really lingering shots on a moment. And, but that's so difficult, like getting enough people to be okay with the fact that you're doing one thing for a really long time. And especially, you know, who the hell am I? Nobody's going to want to sit and watch this. Nobody's candle scene. (laughs) Who's going to want to sit through that? But I want to get to that point where I can start experimenting with that and really entrance the audience. But, uh, I mean, right off the bat, that's the the sort of things I can name that I've stolen. May I have the password, please? Fidelio. That's right, sir. That is the password for admittance. But may I ask, what is the password for the house? So let's talk about the elephant in our room, which you mentioned earlier, uh, which is your newest film, La Orden. So recently you got your film, La Orden, entered into a Los Angeles uh, music festival, not music festival, sorry, um, film festival. Can you speak, can you talk about uh, what that's like, how you feel about that? Well, I feel great, honestly, obviously. Um, 
you know, a film festival run is is great publicity. That's the best you could make the most beautiful film in the world, the most profound. Like the, this film is going to change the world, but if nobody saw it, it's not changing anything. And so you can try and put your film into film festivals. Obviously, it's at the mercy of the judges. But luckily, in this particular case, the judges um, thought that the film was uh, worth getting put into their film festival, which I'm very grateful of. Um, the festival is going to be on November 5th uh, this year. So if anybody's interested, um, it's going to be at a Lemley's in Santa Monica. Um, I mean, there's not only going to be my film. There's going to be plenty of films. It's called the Movement Latino Festival. Um, I'm obviously Latino. My parents are both from Mexico. But the film, it's a Spanish-language film. Um so, you know, I speak some Spanish on the side, and I wrote the film because a while back I was in a relationship with a young woman who was from El Salvador. Well, she wasn't from El Salvador. Her parents were from El Salvador. And her mother told me of what it was like living in the Civil War in, like, the 80s. I think it was around that time. And so I took the story that she told me and turned it into a script and eventually the short La Orden. So I think that that was also a big turning point for me because it, it's sort of like I've made a bunch of films that I'm being completely honest. It's, they're sort of based on my own ego. It's like the sense of, I hope people are impressed by this film, but this film really was me going, I hope people know about what happened because when she told me, how did I go, you know, 20 years of my life without ever knowing how terrible it was to live in El Salvador in the civil war. I mean, I knew it was terrible, but these particular stories that really strike a chord and I go, I have the means of turning this into a film and getting even just one person to watch it and getting one person to be upset and feel an, have a really immense emotional response to the story that's based on, you know, this woman's life and what happened to her. And, you know, who knows? It, it can, I mean, it's very, very um, relevant even today because, I mean, the same sort of things happening in Syria um, to a degree, some uh, other countries in Central and South and South America and even Mexico to an extent are experiencing very similar men coming knocking on your door and saying, give us your children or we'll kill you. And, you know, what's it like for these parents having to hide their children, you know, hide in this area when the soldiers come so they don't take you and we can pretend like you're just not around. They can't take you if you're not around. But of course, there's that chance of them getting caught. And if they get caught, what does that mean? Obviously, the children get, you know, off to the military, whatever it is, and the parents could die, maybe? I mean, it's just a tense, tense situation. It's a horrible situation that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And for that reason, I thought it deserved to be told. So I made it, and I'm really happy that it gets into a film festival because that just means that more and more people are going to see it. More and more people are going to know about what happened and how horrible it was to live in that sort of situation. And I'm really honored to be able to be the person that, you know, initiated it. I wrote the film, directed the film. I was even forced to act in the film, unfortunately, because we had an actor cancel on us at last minute. Um, but aside from that, um, I was really, I'm really proud. I'm very happy that I get to be, you know, somebody who informs somebody about something else terrible that happened through a medium that I know best, which is film. Why do they want to my Pa' que peleen por su país no, contra los de... ¿Por qué me los quieres quitar tú? Es lo que me ordenaron, señora. ¿Por qué existe una orden así? 
every new project is for sure bound to be both exciting and intimidating um, since you're starting over from scratch. Essentially, you know, you're working on your, you have a whole new workload ahead of you. Um, is there anything you're working on now that you can speak to us about? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't work for like a big studio, so I'm not like sworn to secrecy about any upcoming projects, but <clears throat> I'm working. Obviously, I always got to pump up the wheels. I got to keep from from uh, I got to keep the wheels greased. I got to keep from rusting. So I, I write a short script every now and then. Uh, I just wrote a, a, sh- a short script about uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about a man. It's sort of an existentially Ernest Hemingway ish um sort of short script uh probably about like five seven minutes um very much so Ernest Hemingway inspired that I actually got drunk for it I got drunk to write it I cried while I was writing it this was like a month ago I've been so afraid to reread it because what if it's terrible because I was drunk (laughs) but what if it's great because I was drunk I don't know yet I'm too afraid to figure it out but I've written that I'm gonna man up and read it eventually but then I've also got a couple of ideas slated for other shorts, especially since Halloween's rolling around. Um, I wanted to do something with uh, maybe like a bruja, which for anyone who doesn't know, that's like a Mexican or just Latin American idea of a witch, which is very different than like an American or European idea of a witch. It, it's In my opinion, it's really creepy, especially because a lot of people still believe in that. Like if you watch the Mexican news, sometimes they'll have like a bruja spotted in some city in Mexico. And it's like, wow, you guys actually still buy into that kind of stuff i know there's like a whole it's almost like voodoo voodoo is probably the one that people know best here in the united states and sort of that i've also speaking of voodoo i'm actually working on two feature length scripts um the first one is about voodoo it takes place in in the louisiana south um deep in the south a, a detective who stumbles upon a case and um he's very set in his ways and well and he doesn't have a partner he wants to work alone and he gets help from somebody in the other realm of existence which could be like the spirit realm of the voodoo orient so that is something i'm playing around with it's sort of a mystery uh not so much of a whodunit more as like a how did they do it or can you prove that somebody did it uh with the help of a ghost you know you can't just tell anybody this ghost is helping me solve their its own murder. But that's essentially the premise of the film is that there is a ghost helping the detective solve her own murder. And obviously the detective wants to work alone. That goes for spirits too. And he's very set in his ways. He's Catholic. Because most people in Louisiana South, are, since they're French uh, descendants, they're Catholic. They're very set in their French ways. And so it's kind of weird to have this idea of the voodoo ghost helping them out. So they're, he's not for it. But, you know, things happen. It's a film. Stuff happens. Um, that's all I'm going to give away now. Another one would be this one I'm currently working on. I just finished the first act. Um, it's about a uh, a small town, like a wood, t- like a town in the woods up north maybe somewhere. And there's a series of serial murders. And... Somebody in the town gets accused of it. The main character gets accused of all the murders. And he sort of has to prove that he's innocent. But at the same time, he knows who killed all these people. He finds out who killed all the people. And it isn't really exactly what you'd expect. And he kind of has to 
do a great deal of proving who it is and how exactly who killed all these people could exist in the first place. And as a wrap up, um, aside from the uh, film festival, I think November 5th in LA, can we expect La Orden to come out um, on any other platform? Maybe perhaps YouTube or online somewhere or a- anywhere where we can see some of your, your previous films. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so after the film festival, when I'd put it on, YouTube and Vimeo because a lot of people and with a lot of the film festivals, they don't, they want your film to premiere at their film festival. So if it's online somewhere, they don't want it. So I can't really put it out yet, but eventually I'm going to put it out. Eventually. I also have a short that I did at UCLA and they're all on my YouTube page, um, which is named after my little production company, which is fourth dimension films. And you can also find me on Instagram at M Federico Moreno. Um, that's also um, my Twitter. And I ha- will have links to my YouTube page on there, which you can go and see other previous shorts that I've done. Um, I actually have one up there called Dead Man Blues, which is an older one that I did, which is very short. So if you you know need something to kill time, it's a pretty good thing to watch. But yeah, so keep an eye out on the YouTube and on the Vimeo because that is where I'm going to be publishing all of my films when the time comes. All right. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, man. We hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. For more podcasts, articles, and stories, please check out our website at therunneronline.com and stay tuned to RunnerCast here on Runner Radio. Thank you. Thank you.